Today's guest is Alicia Wellen. She draws upon 20 years of professional experience in varying roles in the financial sector, compliance, marketing, operations, and sales capacities. As the founder and CEO of her own coaching and consulting firm, she offers professional coaching, consulting, and Reiki to national and international leaders and high achievers looking to leverage their inflection points to reach a higher potential, whether it be in their personal or professional lives. She is seasoned in helping entrepreneurs, executives, small businesses explore where they are now, how they want to accelerate, and where they want to go next. Helping individuals and small businesses optimize themselves in times of transition is where she thrives. Alicia holds a BS in marketing from Metropolitan State College of Denver, an MBA in finance from Regis University, Series 7, 24, 66, and 99 FINRA registrations, and is a Yusoi Riku Master. Sorry if I butchered that. With over 1,000 hours of coaching, she holds the Certified Professional Coactive Coach and Professional Certified Coach credentials. She is also an affiliate member, IOC, at McLean Hospital, Harvard Medical School affiliate. She's been featured in CEO Today, Central Park Living, The Scout Guide, Urban Living Wash Park, and Vanity Fair. She is definitely a badass, and I hope you learn a lot from our conversation. I know I sure did. This week's podcast is brought to you by Mama Bird Interviews. With the interviews for Mama Bird, focus on highlighting stories of not just your elders, but of yourself in that moment of what you believe in, um, what, you, what you like, what you don't like, like your favorite memories, like having an actual video of you telling your own story. Like you're the one who's telling it. You're the one who's dictating who gets to know what um, and what you get to share. So that's what Mama Bird is kind of in a gist, is just being able to have the power to tell your own story um, in the way that feels comfortable to you um, and that you can share with anyone whenever. And, and again, you just have to be like when you're at the end of your life, you can do it at whatever time. You could be in high school and you want to like, hey, this is who I was in high school and I want to capture this. Okay. Good morning, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining me here today. You are another wonderful, badass woman that I know nothing about. So I'm very excited to learn more about you today and, and share your stories with our listeners. Can you start me out um, just by where you grew up and, and where you come from originally? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me and for having me. I just think what you're doing is awesome. So I'm happy to be a part of it. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, born and raised here in Colorado. I grew up um, just west of Denver in Lakewood, sort of near the foothills. Um, you know, back then there wasn't much out there, so we could hear Red Rocks and Bandemir from our backyard. So, you know, pretty fun. Um, grew up blue collar family. My dad and both my grandmas worked at Coors. So very much blue collar factory work, um, you know, lots of beer, that kind of, you know, set up, but very traditional, you know, at home. I've got an older sister, mom and dad, um, you know, typical suburban life. I'm a first generation college student which I always like to mention because I think um, it's not as unique anymore, but you know, for our generation, it is something that sort of encourages, I think a lot of kids around here who are coming from families that it's not as unique. So I like to mention that I am a first-generation college student. Um, yeah, uh, go for it. I, I've got to follow up on that because I work with all these women that are first-generation college students okay. and, and fill me in from your perspective. One of the things that I think that I'm so unaware of coming from 
um, many places of privilege, but with my parents being going through the college system and knowing how to navigate that system, when you're the first one in your family to do that, are you, is it very difficult to navigate the different systems in, in college? Was it, was it a tough time for you or how did that go? Yeah, it was tough. You know, when it came time my junior year of high school to look into colleges, my parents were like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Like, you'll work at course just like we do and it'll be great. We can get you anything that you want as far as a job there. So like, what are you talking about? You know, college, no. And they really didn't know anything about it. You know, my mom went to a trade school for a short period of time, but it was also early seventies where she got pregnant and she got fired from a job because of it. And she, you know, stayed at home with us. And so they were kind of like, you're on your own. And if you want to do it, that's great, but you're paying for it. So, you know, make a decision. So it was difficult and it, it kind of threw me through a loop because a lot of my, well, all of my friends were doing it and I didn't really know where to start or what to do. And the message that I got from my teachers and counselors were, well, you've got to know exactly what you're going to do for the rest of your life and then go to college for that. And I had no idea what that meant, or, you know, it was very intimidating, especially not having the support at home with college applications and essays and financial aid and all that good stuff. So I actually did take a gap year um, stayed at home, thought I would work and save a ton of money to pay for college. I did nothing of the sort. I had the best time, got into a little bit of trouble, <laughs> um, you know, nothing too serious, but it was, you know, and then I kind of looked around and thought, okay, well, the rest of the folks that are around here that aren't going to college, it just didn't feel right. And so I just stepped into sort of the ring of fire and figured it out. And it was really hard and really scary. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do it and how I was going to pay for it. Um, but I did it. I went to UNC for one year in Greeley. And then I decided I just wanted to be closer to home. So I came home and went to Metro and graduated from there and then went back for my master's at Regis. And so it was kind of like with every step, it got easier, but then I got more excited about you know, education and what it had to offer and, you know, working full-time and going to school full-time was tough, but I did it and I'm proud of that. Yeah, I think personally, I think that a gap year is a wonderful thing for your maturation, but I think that so often, especially with first-generation college students, they don't end up going or they don't end up graduating. That gap year can really go the wrong way too. But I think from your maturity levels, you're so young. It's such a wild system that you're trying to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life at 18. Um, what did you end up majoring in when you went for your undergrad? So, you know, I, I played around with a lot of different things. You know, at first I wanted to do marine biology, which I kind of cracked up at. I think I read a meme somewhere that like people actually thought that was like one of the top five jobs. Like I, that was me. I, that was me. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, and then quickly realized it wasn't for me. And I really was interested in sports marketing. And so that's what I went in for was sports marketing and then quickly realized I really didn't love, I didn't love marketing, um, but I was already on that path. And so I ended up graduating with an undergrad just in plain old marketing um, and figured, you know, it's a pillar of business in general. And I knew I wanted to be in business. And so I knew that it would, you know, support me and help me with that. So it was an undergrad in marketing and then all of my work experiences in finance. And so, you know, and that's kind of pre, before I started the coaching business, but it was all finance. And so I went back for my master's in finance. Yeah, I also have an undergraduate degree in marketing and my privilege was my mother who, again, helping me navigate these systems. My mom filled out my college application. I remember that specifically. 
and chose marketing for me basically. And I, I didn't even have like an interest in it, which is just wild. I, I work with all these women who don't see this power in themselves. And I'm like, my mom filled, I've got a doctorate right now because my mom filled out this application and FAFSA yeah. for that matter too. And, and that, but what I've realized too since then is business and degree in business is so mutually respected and it's really not fair. I feel in so many different ways. And there's all these liberal arts degrees that aren't looked at the same way, but my degree in marketing is more respected in education where I ended up than an education degree is in education. And wow. so I always tell my students that don't know where they want to go, go into business, like some sort of business, then you can go in any direction and it's respected in those ways. Um, and so with your, with your marketing degree, so you graduated, then what were kind of your first jobs? How did you get into finance? My mom was a banker. And so, you know, she got into banking, I think when I was in high school and it was something, you know, that she could just easily do with our school schedules. And so she was a teller for a long time and then sort of worked her way up the ranks there. And, you know, I, who doesn't love money? I like money. And she was telling me, you know, like it would be really good for customer service and getting yourself out there. I mean, obviously, you know, I had babysat, I had waited tables, I had done, you know, busing of tables. I worked at McNichols Sports Arena, which I'm sure I'm dating myself by saying that, but I did work there. Um, and they had a nice exchange program. You know, you, McNichols Sports Arena, Fiddler's Green, Lakewood Country Club were kind of like a, a tripod. And so you rotate around seasonally. And what was fun is back then, you know, I got to see free concerts. I got to see free games. And, you know, dating myself again, I, back then you could sell beer at my age. So it was between like 15 and 18 that I did that. You could sell beer. You couldn't pour it. That was the deal. And so at McNichols, Red Dog beer was still very a big deal here, which I haven't heard of that in a long time. But with the red hair, they said, hey, you go take the Red Dog beer kiosk. You're the one. So, you know, I sold beer and then, you know, needed to do something more serious. So I actually did work at Coors and they have their own credit union. Um, it's, I changed names now, but that's kind of where I started with finance and I took to it and I really liked it. They have had an investment advisor inside the credit union. And so I started learning about investing money and what does financial planning mean? And, and I really enjoyed that. And the idea of working on wall street, you know, with the idea of going to New York someday, which did not happen, but I stayed in the space and I stayed there for, for 20 years. Um, you know, my corporate job is still in that space and I do that alongside the coaching, but it really was just a matter of trying something on, liking it, being presented with opportunities and climbing a ladder. And then when I got to the top, I got there and I looked around and thought, oh my God, like, how did I, what is this? Like, is this what I want to be doing? How did I even get here? You know, it is fulfilling. I do like it, but I sort of checked in with myself around 40. Like, is this what I want to be doing? How did I get here? Why am I here? And just really did some sort of self-reflecting, which sort of led me on my, my passion project side hustle uh, with the coaching. With finance, as with, I'm sure, almost everything, very male dominated, I would imagine. What was it like being a woman at that time in that industry? Yeah, it's male dominated and it's, it's pretty brutal. It's pretty ugly. Um, and as a matter of fact, I, I coach women now in that space because I think it is, it's intimidating and it's, you know, it's stale, but at that time in the late nineties, um, you know, I was very young and, but, you know, listen, my mom and dad, if, if, you know, they did one thing, they taught us kind of take no shit. Right. And that was like the blue collar way. And you got to stand up for yourself and, you know, you're going to advocate for yourself and you're going to do it and nobody else will. And so I think that sort of that 
that little bit of a rough edge helps me quite a bit in the male dominated space, you know, and also, you know, taking it back, I grew up, I was a very big tomboy. I only played with boys. I played baseball before I played softball. Um, it was really important for me to just always be around the guys and, you know, liked getting dirty, liked getting my hands dirty, um, played football with my dad in the backyard. And so I think growing up being a tomboy, which I don't even know if that's a PC term these days, but I totally was, um, cut all my hair off, only wore shorts and t-shirts. Um, I think that really helped me, right? Like I get along with the guys and all that to say, it didn't make it less difficult, right? At the end of the day, when you're in a boardroom or you're in a, a corporate office, and it's all guys and you're the only woman, it makes it difficult. And so I do think, you know, my direct nature um, in that space served me well. Um, I have been told I'm intimidating and, you know, a lot of the guys don't love that. My response to that is, would you say that to a guy? And a lot of times they kind of laugh and like, all right, come on in, you know, you're, you're cool, you can come with us, but it's a tough space. It's really a tough space. And I really had to be strong in it. And, you know, it wasn't, much of an effort per se. It's just that, Hey, I wanted to be here and this is what I like to do. Um, and so you got to put up with me. <laughs> yeah. I'm very much that you're going to be on a winding path and all these things mm -hmm. that you've done in the past that you may not see the beauty in at the time or the, not the reasons necessarily, but the, the learnings that you, that you achieved, received from them at the time that they'll really come back. Do you see now as you reflect on your career, that your parents not going to college and not coming from that path, you're not being kind of groomed for this life in finance. Do you think that was an advantage to you as you looked at things differently throughout your career? That's a really great question. I think, I think it was an advantage. I think it gave me different perspectives, right? It gave me kind of like my roots and then I chose to spread my wings in a different way. And I think going in naive and green to it, um, I think probably gave me a different perspective, right? To, to make my own path, to forge my own way, um, to really get, go inside about how it feels, right? And, you know, where the boundary is, like, what am I going to tolerate? What am I not? You know, all too often we say, especially as parents, you can't teach judgment. It's impossible. And it, it's really hard to manage judgment also. And I think that going through this particular career gave me certain judgment of, you know, what battles to pick, where to use your voice, knowing your audience, what is your delivery, right? Like you, in order to be playing the game, you have to be articulate and you have to have a certain delivery. And if you buy into sort of the identity of a woman in a boardroom in a male dominated space, if you buy into the identity that they're putting on you, you're just validating them. Right. And I just, you know, inherently didn't want to give them that. And so I wanted to show like, Hey, you know what, that's just, it's not, I'm not going to cry here. You talk to me how you want. I'm not going to cry about it, but I am going to call you the task on it. And so I think just having expectations and boundaries in that way was really advantageous. And I do think, you know, my parents were always big advocates for my sister and I to be very independent. You use your voice. If you're not going to use it for yourself, nobody else will. And to be really self-reliant in that way. And I think that really did help me out in, you know, sure, it wasn't all easy to your point. It was a, a messy winding path, um, but no good career path is a straight line. And so I think, uh, you know, 
I learned that I, you know, sometimes was a little too gruff or I was a little defensive. And so, you know, as you mature and get more professional and articulate, you realize what works and what doesn't. What kind of advice would you give to, uh, this is for me as well, to someone that, that doesn't come from that same background that wouldn't have to navigate those same difficult waters. So let's say a young woman now that's coming into the world of finance that's more introverted and um, less used to advocating for themselves. What, how do you build those skills and how, how would you, what would you, advice would you give to them? You know, um, I do coach, part of the space that I coach in sort of as a way to give back to the community is graduating seniors in college. Sometimes high school, but it doesn't resonate as much as with college. And so I do run across women coming into the finance space or just business space in general, right? And they don't know what to expect. Um, they don't have, you know, any work experience. And so I do find, you know, the best advice to give is really a lot of what my parents did, you know, what feels good to you? You know, are you going to tolerate somebody telling you what your path is, right? You may not know what your path is, but you build it as you go, right? You don't wait for it to be built in order to take the steps and you really get to, there's beauty in that. It's a yes and, it's beautiful and brutal. And I say that a lot because it's really scary. And a lot of times people don't take the step or they don't advocate for themselves or to your point, if they're introverted, which, you know, little known fact about me, I actually am very much an introvert. And so when people learn that about me, they're like, whoa, an introvert with a mouth is really what it is because you can be introverted. Everything is a yes and. I, I think that but is a naughty word. It's yes and because yes, I'm introverted and I'm going to set a boundary and expectation for myself. Yes, I'm introverted and I like to observe and listen, but I also like to speak up. And so it's really finding that inner fire and it takes, you know, some practice, right? It's going to be, being in a situation where you walk away, and I think we've all been there, especially, you know, these women entering the workforce and a male dominated at that, you get into a situation where you walk away from it and you think, damn it, what I wanted to say was this, right? And so it's really exercising your muscle. It's getting used to using your voice and coming of age to say what you want to say, when you want to say it and how you want to say it. And there's mistakes along the way and that's okay, Right. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in failure. I think it's a fail forward. I think everything is a stepping stone and you got to try it on. A lot of times I find myself saying, especially to women, you know, you, you take 10 things into a dressing room and you try them all on and you don't regret the genes that you leave behind, right? You've got to try it all on, including using your voice. You try it on and how does it sound? Do you like what you said? Do you like how you said it? And the answer might be no but you're not going to know that until you do it. And then once you do it and you know, then there's fine tuning and editing that happens, right? Like, okay, well, what I want to say is this. And also it's okay to go back, right? It's okay to leave that boardroom and feel like it was not how you wanted it to go. And you turn right back around and you can say, Hey, you know what? Something just occurred to me. I really wanted to touch on this, that, or the other thing, or I, you know, what I meant to say, I think how it came out was this, and what I meant to say was this. And so there's always room for going back and, and being a human, right? And saying, oh, you know what? I actually didn't like that. I didn't like how that went, or I didn't like how I said it. This is, you know, what I wanted to say, or do you have a minute that we can talk about it again? And so there's always a chance for a do-over. And I think once I say that, 
it kind of relieves some pressure, right? Like, oh, because I think everyone's trying to be so professional and so perfect that they don't realize that we're all humans and you can go back and say, oh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And I want to, I want to redo. I want to, I thought about it and I have something else to add and it's okay to do that. And that people are, they are over it quickly too. You hang on to stuff that happens to you in your own mind and replay it over and over again. And I love the analogies you made there, but the, the other people are often done with it at that point, um, which I think is, is, is something I'm still dealing with and working on myself. <laughs> what, uh, I, I really like this. And I think that a lot of our listeners will have kids that are going into college or, or graduating from college now. What kind of advice do you give to college graduates now about career and career path and, and learning in that capacity? Well, I, you know, the best advice I ever got was that your career path is not a straight line and you can do everything right and it's not going to go the way you want. That's number one. Number two is it's really important. I think, you know, the experience that I had in the 90s is still very prevalent now where parents um, especially parents of first-generation college students that really don't have the experience that they want so much for their kids. The parents, the academic advisors, the teachers, the professors, everyone is still giving that really stale message of, you've got to know exactly what you're doing and go and do that, right? Because if you don't, you're going to waste time and money. I disagree. I think that there's no way to know until you're exposed, right? It doesn't mean you hold back until you're exposed to everything. That's not what it is. It's trying it on, it's going forward, it's doing what you think you want, and then discovering what you don't know is there. It's really shining a light on a blind spot because there's so many things out in this world being offered that there's just no way to know. So you've got to take a step and you've, you've got to be fearless about it, right? And you can be fearful on the inside, but you don't know, go forward with courage. You're not going to make a mistake. You're not going to waste time and money because I believe the universe doesn't let you miss out on what's meant for you. You're going to try something and the universe is going to tell you it's right. And you're going to keep trucking, or there's going to be something that pivots you to, Hey, look over here. There's something over here. And then you get exposed to something else. Or you meet someone who introduces you to something else. And then you decide to take a step. Right. And so I think, allowing it to be messy, allowing it to be a lifelong learning journey, and really trusting yourself that you're going to make the decisions that are best for you at that time. And when you know better, you do better and you make different decisions. And that's how evolution works. And so it's just get your ticket to the dance and then go figure out how you want to dance when you get there. And it's going to change because you're going to decide to do something different or you're going to see somebody doing something that you're interested in. So it's remaining curious it's being brave. Um, you're not going to miss anything. You're not going to, nothing is a waste. Everything is going to be in your best interest, serving you in some way, even if it feels hard or not what you wanted, it's exactly what you need to go forward and do the thing. I also like to share, you know, sort of my credentials with it because they make no sense. So I have an undergrad in marketing and master's in finance, but all of my corporate experience is really in, it's in the financial space, but it's in compliance. So like none of that matter, like none of that, those dots just really don't connect for people, right? Like how did you get into compliance? That sounds weird and boring. Like how are you in that <laughs> space? And it was really, you know, all of that together, right? I review marketing material in compliance. I am in the financial world, but not crunching numbers, right? And so 
it, when I was going through my undergrad, I had no idea that that job even existed, right? And lo and behold, I did some things and they amount very uniquely in, in a very odd way to a corporate job that I hold now that I didn't even know existed when I was 18, 19, 20. Yeah, which I think, again, from a, as I get older and more experienced, I see from a thought perspective that coming at things from different angles is so valuable and gives you an opportunity to do different things and sell yourself in a different way, too, for different positions, which, yeah, you're, you're right. I would never think of compliance as, as being something that combined all these things, but you do get exposed to all these different areas. Yeah. And another thing that certainly changes you is children. We've just talked briefly before this. I've got an uh, eight and a six-year-old. You've got a nine and a six-year-old, I think you said. How did being a parent, becoming a parent change your outlook on career and, and just your work in general? Well, a lot. It changed a lot. Um, you know, I have two little girls, you're right. They're nine and six. And, you know, it was, it was really important for me to see my mom work. She was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. And then she started working and gaining sort of that independence for herself and seeing that pride and that sense of accomplishment for her was really exciting. Um, and so when I had girls, well, first of all, I thought I was gonna only have boys. And so that was like a big joke in my family, like how did Alicia end up with girls? This is gonna be fun, right? She doesn't know what to do with girls. And so I had these two little ladies and immediately I wanted to show them what an independent, strong woman could look like. And so working has always been really important to me to show them what that is. Now, that's not to say that I'm not available to them, right, in their little lives. And so in addition to showing them that I'm a working mom, it's important to have work-life balance and flexibility. And so I don't miss dropping them off at school and picking them up at school. I make sure that, you know, I'm working in a job that affords me time with them. And so I volunteer in their classes I drop them up at school. I pick them up at school. Um, you know, I'm a chaperone on their field trips. I'm always at their soccer practices and soccer games. And so it's a yeah, it's again, it's a yes and. And I think that just very much intensified. It makes my schedule crazy, but it very much intensified when I became a mom because I wanted to show them that no, you can't have it all, right? That's a facade. That's not real. You can't have it all. You're you burn out, you stretch yourself too thin, but balance is super important. And I want to be their mom and I want to snuggle them and smother them with love and be there for the good times and the bad times. But I also want them to see that I'm not just a mom. I wear a ton of hats, right? I'm a mom. I'm a volunteer in their class. I'm, you know, a professional in the finance space. I'm a coach and I help people at different areas of their lives. Um, I care about energy work. So I'm a Reiki master. So it's, it's showing them that they can do whatever they want to do and be whoever they want to be. And it's not binary. It's not you're a mom and nothing else. It's not right, wrong, black, white. It's a whole buffet of whatever you want to try on. And sometimes you leave it and sometimes you take it and sometimes you try it on and it sticks. And, you know, so just allowing for the mess and the chaos and which I'll say is very hard for a type A person like me, but it's, it's a dance and it's okay to try things and not love it, try things and love it and add it to the, the mix. And so it was really important for me and it got really chaotic really fast because I want to show them everything all at once, right? 
And so it, it's also very important to show, you know, the downside of that, where I do need a mental health day and I do need a break. And, you know, I love you so much, but please stop talking to me right now, <laughs> you know? And so letting them see sort of, you know, the self-care piece and the downside piece um, and all of that, because I am one of the hats that I wear is self and that is taking care of me and doing things for me and being with my friends. Um, and so just all of the things. What advice do you give to women that are career women and mothers and have had very successful careers, but I feel that can take you down that road where you feel like you don't have enough time with your kids or you're not getting enough time with your kids. How do you get out of that if you get into that groove and you're you're just, you're feeling like you're not enough with your children, but still we did. It's such a double standard to me with men and women in this field for sure. And I'm very aware of that. Um, although I'm not really aware of it because I've never actually had to deal with it. But how, how do you, what are some, some first steps if women are feeling that they are getting out of balance and focusing too much on work? You know, the, well, somebody recently told me this and I wanted to punch him right in the face, but it's so important. So I've been actually sharing this a lot recently. And that is, you know, every parent tells you that time goes really quick. Like you have no idea until you have kids how fast time goes. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like it just goes super quick. But someone had pointed out to me recently that, you know, elementary school is the longest period of time that your kids are in school in one place, right? It's from preschool to fifth grade. So that's five to seven years. But then the rest of it is three years and four years and that's it. And they're gone. And I just wanted to punch her because I was like, oh my gosh, how did I not ever see that perspective? And you're right. And oh my gosh, like it, you know, my oldest is going to be in fifth grade next year. So it's her last year of elementary school. <laughs> wow. Right. And so that was a really nice perspective. And one that I share with new moms or to your point, moms that have kind of gotten to a space where they're out of balance. And it's, it's a reminder that we have choice, Right. And it's okay to go into your office or to your boss and say, you know what, this isn't working for me anymore. Love my job, love my work, but like I need more time for myself or my family or whatever it is. And really, again, being an advocate for yourself and setting a boundary and, you know, a precedent on when you're allowed to use your time for what. And so it's time management, but it's more than that. It's being very honest and vulnerable and stepping into a space of, yeah, you know what? I used to work 60 hours a week and that doesn't work for me anymore. And so I'm going to work eight to five here. And then I'm going to be with my kids. And if you need me past five o'clock or before 8am, you can call me, you can email me, but I'm not going to respond. And so I really think that setting that boundary, setting that expectation, it, it's a relief to moms when they hear that you can do that. And listen, not every boss and every company is going to be on board with that. And then you have a decision to make, right? Are you now, is there a misalignment with your values? And if the answer is yes, well, guess what? There's a lot of jobs out there. And if you're a working mom, it's a good reminder to them that they have credentials and experience and exposure and network, and they can use all of that to go find the next best thing that is, you know, for their next highest version of themselves. And so sure, it sounds scary. And you think about starting over, or not starting over, but starting at a new company and sort of paying dues and like all of those things that we tell ourselves we have to do. But it's really about 
getting aligned with what are your values, getting aligned with those, defining fulfillment for yourself, and then going out and searching for it. And once you get really clear and intentional about what it is that you want, you'll find it. You'll find it every time because the universe is listening for that. And so you just have to be brave enough to say this isn't working and I'm more important and my kids are more important. And then also what that does is it shows your kids that you can make a change, right? You can make a change. You can be an advocate for yourself. You can say, this isn't working anymore and I want something different. And then they're going to just be so happy because they're going to feel like, oh my gosh, mom just made a decision to be with me, to be more time with me. And that's going to do nothing but make them happy, right? They might get annoyed that you're around a little bit more. Who knows? I guess, we'll, you know, to each their own. But I think it's important to show that advocacy and that you're never stuck. It might be hard, but you do have a choice and you can do hard things and you can make changes in your life so that you can get back to what's important to you. And also what's important to you can change and move as you grow. And that's okay too. One of my goals with this podcast is just for women to see themselves as badasses and, and not women who already do maybe. And I think that that too, men to women in that regard, as far as confidence and general confidence and workplace or getting a new job is, is very different. And I think that one of the things that really helps me, and you made me even think about it too, there is what would you recommend to your daughters or your kids in the same situation? It would never be work, work, work more and, and spend less time with family. Yeah. But it's, but it's hard to have those kind of practical tips of what to do and what to say in these type of moments. And, and that's something that it sounds like you can help with with your coaching too. How, how, tell me, explain a little more to me about your coaching and how you got into that and, and what you do. Yeah, so, you know, to a point I made earlier, I just sort of got to this place in my career where I love it. But I was like, I don't even know how I got here. Like, how did I get here? What am I doing? Do I want to be doing this? And it was really just sort of like a reflection moment. And, you know, it came on the heels of, I have always participated in mentoring programs at all of the financial firms that I've worked at. So whether a mentor or a mentee, and I found a lot of purpose in that. And I do really enjoy humanizing relationships, getting to know people. And, um, you know, I started getting a lot of really great feedback as a mentor. People saying, oh my gosh, why aren't you doing this for a living? Why, you know, you should get paid for this. And I thought, you know, I was just brushed it off. Like, no, I work in this corporate space and I'm climbing the ladder and I care about my 401k. And like, you know, I like this corporate safety net and I heard it enough. And I got to that space of reflection where I thought, well, you know, again, the universe doesn't let you miss out on what's meant for you. And I keep hearing this. And so maybe there's something there. And I do like learning. I'm a lifelong learner. And so let's see what this is about. So I started doing some research on coaching curriculums and this one company kept coming up called CTI. It's called Coactive Training Institute. And I really liked it. And I didn't take it lightly that in all of my Google searches, it kept coming up. So it was kind of that sign, that reiteration, that validation. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna do it. I'm not gonna regret learning something new. I'm gonna dive into this. I'm gonna see what happens. <clears throat> I'm gonna commit to the curriculum and certification. I'm gonna see what happens. And so I did that and, you know, my company, oddly enough, ended up paying for part of it because they were like, whoa, a coach, we could have a coach on staff. That sounds awesome. And we don't really have anybody like that. Um, yeah, let's do it. And so they helped me with it, which was really generous and really great and further validation that, okay, I should be doing this. And I met the most incredible people in this, this coaching world and all of them were starting businesses. And I thought, okay, well, that's not why I'm here. I'm just here to learn something, but 
I'm the only one not starting a business. So like, what does that look like? Right. And so then I started thinking, maybe I'll start a side hustle and see where it takes me. And it was jet fuel. I did the curriculum. I did the certification. And part of the certification is having paying clients, which was really scary. Like, how do you get paying clients? Like they're really calling you to the mat on it, right? You had to do it. And so I did that. And before I knew it, it was, you know, I took one step forward and the universe took 10 and I had a pipe of clients and it was like, okay, this feels really good to me. And it's all the things I'm learning and coaching about values and fulfillment. And it felt good. And so I rode the wave and, you know, it's grown year over year. Um, in the classes, people started talking about niche because everyone calls themselves a coach these days. There's so many coaches, wellness and fitness and finance and different places. And niche was a really hot topic. And around that time, oddly enough, I had three different people talk to me about Reiki, which is energy work. And I like that kind of stuff. You know, I'll get a tarot reading every now and again, or meet with a medium or whatever for fun. But these three people were talking very specifically to me about me seeming like a healer and somebody who could do Reiki really well. And I just did not take it serious at all. I was like, well, what are you talking about? I'm a corporate lady. I'm doing a side hustle. Like I just, what do you, you know? And it, it caught me again. Like, you know, you're hearing this, you're not going to lose anything by learning about it. Just go learn about it. And so what I ended up doing was creating a niche of coaching with energy work integration. And it's not for everybody, but it set me apart from the other coaches in the room and they got a kick out of that. And so did I. And I thought, you know what, I, this is a big experiment for me. I'm going to see what happens. And again, pure validation. I had people coming to me for Reiki like you wouldn't believe. And I specialized and I built my coaching practice and my Reiki business um, to be remote. Because back to what I was talking about, women in business, making sure that they're building something that it works for them and they're in choice to do that. I thought, well, I work a corporate job and I have two little girls at home and I don't have time you know, to go to people's houses and do Reiki or have them at my house to do Reiki. So I wanna build this business remote and see what happens. And then the pandemic hit and everyone was at home. Everybody had time on their hands. People had disposable income that they didn't have before. And that really blew my business up because people had the time and space and money to start doing some self-improvement and to invest in, you know, I would hear, I've always wanted to code, but I never really had time for it. And, you know, now we've got this COVID thing. We don't even know what this is. Like, I think this is the time. So I built the side business fully remote and it really served during the pandemic and beyond. And so, you know, specializing in that remote space and then having that unique niche of energy work inside coaching, it's really marrying together a corporate thing and a spiritual thing that is, un, you know, you don't expect that, especially from a type A gal like me, who people are like, you know, the people that know me best are like, what are you doing? you know? And so then it gets people talking and it gets people curious and exciting and it's fun for me. And it's just something different that I never, never in my wildest dreams at 17 going in for a marketing degree, what I have imagined, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and energy space and, you know, all of those things. And so it's that odd space where something just clicks and it works and here we are.
and the universe is connecting us now. And I'm thinking, you make me think about one of my cousins um, who went to Colorado School of Mines to get her master's in engineering. And she was working in big oil and it just didn't align with her values. And so she kind of is on now a vision of what she's doing in the next her next career and and what it what she's got onto is a different form of coaching and, and focusing on energy work and things like that. So I definitely need to connect you and her because she's kind of just figuring out her way and certainly like fighting against her family who doesn't see the value in this or what it is or her in this role, which is so interesting to me too, because it'd be supportive about almost everything else. But when people don't know about something, I definitely would not be someone who would know much about any of this stuff. Um, so maybe that's a good way to present it. Can you explain Reiki to me as a, someone who is kind of a non-believer, I would say, initially, or doesn't know ignorant. Ignorant would be a better word than non-believer on it. Not that I would be your target for that, but how do you explain, because it, it, it does surprise me talking to you that you got into this work, because it does seem so different than your personality. Yeah, so Reiki is energy work. So everything and everyone is made up of energy. So an apple on your table has energy. The table that it's sitting on has energy. There's a vibration for everything. So it's that thing when you walk into a room where you can feel a vibe, like someone walks into a room and you think, okay, you know, something's off here, or I really like that person, or this is going to be an interesting meeting. So there's an energy that we all bring to space and it's level, different levels of vibration. So the way to think of Reiki is it's a Japanese technique for stress reduction and healing. So we all have chakra points in our bodies. It's starting at the top, it's crown, third eye, throat, your stomach, which is your solar plexus, sacra, and root. Those are, you know, up and down your body from top to bottom. There's seven of them. Some Reiki masters work with different, different chakra points that go a little bit further. I specialize on those. And, um, having those in balance is important. And there are times in our lives, you know, day to day where you can have an injury or an illness or just a misalignment in that energy where it, you know, you feel stuck or a little foggy or, you know, in just dis-ease. And if you can get those energy centers balanced, something happens. Clarity of mind, stress reduction, um, you know, clearer intentions on what you want to do and where you want to go. And so Reiki for me, it's different for every Reiki master, but for me, I meditate for an hour. A lot of people are extremely surprised to hear that I specialize in remote and that I don't have to be in the same room with somebody when I'm doing Reiki because people think it's a very hands-on approach. Even when you're in the same room with a person, you're not actually touching them. You're only hovering over those chakras. Um, and once you get them balanced and cleared, then the meridians in your body distribute your energy through the body very much like you can see blood flow, right? So it's energy going throughout space in your body. And then, um, so back to how it works is I meditate for an hour and I focus three to five minutes on each of my client's chakra points. And for me, it's very much a lucid dream. Um, in that meditative state, I experience something at each chakra point, and it's all very random to me. It makes zero sense. I write it down, I send it to the client, and then we hop on a call and we talk about it. And 10 out of 10 times, they tell me how it resonates, right? So an example that I've been given permission to share in cases like this is I did Reiki for a client and in the beginning, before I even got to her chakra points, 
I saw um, a bracelet and it just went into a pocket and then we went off to the races. Well, the client shared with me that her father had passed away. Her mother had passed away and her father was not doing well. And there was a bracelet that he had given her mom many years ago that they couldn't find that they wanted for her funeral. So before the Reiki session started, she was digging through a bunch of junk and she found the bracelet and they hadn't seen it for 15 years, but she put it in her pocket and thought, okay, I need to meditate for the Reiki session. So I'll just put this here and, and forget about it. But it was that validating, very random piece of information for me that I share, right? That resonates with her to know that the connection is there. And then we move through the shocker points. And so, you know, take that for what it's worth. I get skeptics all the time. I have coaching clients who, you know, will come to me for my 20 year business acumen or for my coaching credentials or for Reiki. And sometimes it's a combination of all three. Sometimes people are like, you know, keep the Reiki out of here. It's not for me. And then they get curious about it and they'll come back because it's not harmful, right? It's just, you just meditate and see what happens and something always happens. And so it's really interesting to see people discover it for the first time um, or take me up on it because they're like, you know, what the hell, who cares? I'll try it. And then a lot of times what I hear, especially from the skeptics is that's the piece that I've been missing, right? We spend so much time on our minds and bodies with education and therapy and nutrition and exercise that we forget about our spirit and our energy and sort of that, that third component of ourselves that we bring to space every day. And so when people get introduced to Reiki and feel the benefit of having that balance and sort of that clearing and that energy work, it's a component for them to sort of reach their next highest potential and vibrate on a higher plane where they feel more clarity and, you know, ease in their their energy space well I'm, I'm definitely a skeptic but also you piqued my interest certainly I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> by it and I and I kind of think as I get older too it's so obvious that I know so little right you you realize how little about any of this you know and then also what's obvious to me too is doing things that will help you is just good for you in general right trying things and seeing what does work and Especially yeah. stuff with like that where there's zero downside to it. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I think that's fascinating. Um, as where I am in life right now, I'm, I'm running Mama Bird interviews, which is my p- complete passion. I've done this for the last two years. I've been an educator for the last ten years. But I'm very much at a. I'm 42. I'm very much at a phase in my life. We're spending a year sabbatical in Poland, so I'm at an, just an amazing part of my life. But I don't wake up in the morning and just have this goofy smile on my face like I should every day. I feel because my life is. So good. We have two healthy children. I've got a wonderful wife who's, who's just I love with all my heart. All this stuff is good for me, but I do really want to be the best version of myself. And I really want to, with the work I'm doing, I really do want to make an impact and get it as far as I can. For people in situations like mine and really just have it really good, but want to push themselves to be better, um, what are kind of some recommendations that you have for them? How do you kind of take good to, to make it great? a really good question. I think, you know, it's a unique process for everybody. It's different for everybody. And to your point about wanting to do something, you know, to take it to the next level, I think a lot of times there's a perception that when you take it to the next level, you have to do more, right? And there's a perspective in there that maybe it actually means doing less or different, right? So it's bigger, better, different, or maybe less. And so really, you know, with coaching, somebody in this space, it's creating a container for exploration and discovery first. 
And, you know, the first meeting that I have with every client is to really, it's a data grab for me and it's very pointed questions. If they want to add Reiki, I do that next because it's an indirect way for me to gather data that they wouldn't think to share with me or that, you know, it just doesn't come up in a conversation, but it's an indirect way for me to gather more data and we have a conversation about it. But that first part, that first meeting where I'm asking pointed questions, it's really about values. It's about fulfillment. It's about, uh, you know, if you ask somebody, like, do you live by values? They would be like, well, yeah, of course I do. Okay, well, what are they? Oh, shit. Um, I don't know. I haven't actually listed them out. I don't. And I even had somebody recently say, like, well, I don't like, do you have a list that I can pick from? Right. Because, of course, we all live by values. But when you really think about and have to answer a question as to what they are, it takes some time. And so there's an exercise there that's creating that container to explore and discover what are your values? And if you're going through a transformation or a transition, there's deconditioning and breaking of cycles that happens there. You may think you're living by these five values, but then when you start going through the process, you realize you have something to add or, you know, something falls away. And so it's really taking inventory, but like weeding and watering your values and what are they and getting really clear and intentional about what they are. Defining fulfillment, I think is super important too, because, you know, what are you chasing? What are you chasing and why are you chasing it? And what is fulfilling to you as an individual on your own with, with no one else's perception or definition there? The other really big component that we all have, all, I think moms have it worse, but all for the sake of this conversation, you know, it's true that we all have it. And it's what I call the saboteur. Some people call it different things, imposter syndrome, limiting self-belief, negative self-talk. It's that thing that keeps us playing safe and small, right? It keeps us from going to the next level or making good to great. And a lot of times it's, it's rooted in fear, um, but it's that saboteur that gives us untrue messages, right? Like you're too old. Who do you think you are? It's not the right time. Like you've never done anything like this before. So there's a lot of untrue messages that come in from your saboteur that hold you back. And that it makes you feel like whatever you're about to do or whatever you wanna do doesn't make sense or it's too hard. And so a lot of the beginning stages of the coaching relationship are getting very acquainted with that saboteur. Some coaches say that you have to combat the saboteur. I actually disagree. I think the saboteur is very much a component of the person themselves. And you have to bring it in close like a friend, right? Like keep your friends close and your enemies closest. But you bring it in close to observe it and get very acquainted with it because you're afraid of it and it's annoying to you and you don't examine it. You just push it away. You've got to integrate the saboteur into the process, whatever your deconditioning, breaking cycles up in order to move through your transformation and transition. Um, and a lot of times when people are introduced to the idea of getting acquainted with a saboteur rather than getting rid of it. It piques their interest because one, it's kind of scary and two, they don't want it, right? They don't want to talk about it. They don't want, they just want it to go away. They want it to get out of the way, but you've got to observe it, analyze it, get very acquainted with it to understand it and integrate it into your process so that you know that it's there. You're acknowledging it so that you can bring it to the surface and let it go each time that it represents itself. And then lo and behold, what comes out is your leader within and it's a tool. And so anytime the saboteur presents itself, you are getting more and more present with it to 
okay, I see you, come on through. We're gonna move you to the side so the leader within can sort of take over and you can get through whatever task or feat you're going for. So, you know, the coaching is coactive. It's we can set and attain goals all day long, but I get more excited about who you are and what who you wanna be in this time of transition and on the other side of the transition. And a lot of times that is, I would say 10 out of 10 times, it's married with your saboteur because you then tease out the leader within that substitutes those untruths with truths. And every time some kind of an affirmation comes out that like, I am good enough. I am enough. Um, I can do this. I am a strong leader. I am. And so there's affirmations that sort of marry in with those tools of your leader within that help move you through sort of that ring of fire and, and that straight jacket that everyone is wrestling with to do the thing that they really want to do. So who should be looking into getting a coach? So I don't love the word should because it instigates obligation, right? And you have to be called to it, right? You have to be called to coaching or energy work um, or to your point, you know, anybody in the space. The thing that I have found um, is that coaching was, has always been offered as like a high level luxury tool for like C-suite. And that really pisses me off because it actually is a self-development tool for anybody, right? It can be, like I said earlier, you know, a high school senior or a college senior or, you know, anyone in transition or transformation in their life. And so I would really love, you know, I'm coaching for the greater good here and I really love serving a community for it. So I think anyone who is going through a transformation or a transition in their lives, whether it's, you know, becoming a new parent or going through a divorce or taking on a new job or just feeling stuck in general. Like, I don't really know what I want to do or where I want to go. And I've got this time and this space to think about it, right? If you're being nagged about something, a coach can really help you. Um, the job of a coach is to create the container for exploration and discovery to be a champion, to challenge you and to meet you at that challenge because it is uncomfortable, it's scary, it's not easy. This is not easy, but it's, um, and then the accountability piece is super important, right? Like we could all write down our own goals and be like, all right, I'm going out and doing it. But then you'll be like, eh, well, I decided to watch TV today. You know, and so the accountability piece of a coach is a really beautiful thing. And um, I think value and resonance is super important there. You know, I said earlier, a lot of people call themselves coaches these days. Credentials were super important to me and they're not, you know, super important to everybody. And that's not, you know, right or wrong. It's just how we all kind of come to the table as coaches. And so if you are interested in a coaching relationship, I always encourage, even if I have a prospect calling and saying, I want to hire you, I actually don't take them on right away. I say, go interview a couple more coaches. And, you know, they're kind of like, well, what do you mean? I'm trying to give you business. I would love to take your business, but every coach brings something different and chemistry is really important. Value and resonance is really important. And so you have to go out and explore it to really know who you want and what you want to do. Some people are very rigid and they want, you know, very tactical agenda, checklists, you know, assessments, things like that. Other people want something around mindset. Like there's just a, a big spectrum there of what can be offered. And so I always encourage people, you know, like I said to myself, you're not going to regret learning something new. So go talk to some coaches, see what it's all about and see, you know, where it fits into your life and how it can help you. Um, 
So for me, the common denominator of all of my clients is, you know, going through transformation and transition. And, you know, everyone pursues and defines differently. So that's going to look different to each client. But that's really, it could be someone going into the C-suite, somebody going out of the C-suite into retirement. It could be, you know, a, a mom, a stay-at-home mom that just wants something more and different. Um, so it's, you know, it's a big, it's a big display of, you know, different people. Um, but the common denominator is transformation and transition. I like that you talked about kind of shopping first, and I've heard that about therapy too. You need to be doing this. And one thing that I think about, and I think about it, you know, with a lot of different service jobs and people connect to other people pretty quickly, but then when it becomes a professional relationship, they may feel guilty about going to someone else, or they may not do it because they don't want to commit to it kind of forever. I'm, I always, my life has never worked out as things of forever, but I kind of in my mind, oh, I'm going to do this forever. Um, is this something where people can do kind of for a, a short period of time and kind of focusing on one thing and then moving forward from that and not having to do it. If it's, I guess with financially is what I'm thinking of would be, would be more of the issue. Is it something that can be temporary? Yeah, I think so. I think it can serve a purpose. You know, one of the questions that I always ask when um, somebody hires me is, okay, well, tell me about your agenda. Like what's your big agenda item? You know, what's your big goal for coaching and what are your little agenda items that you think maybe you shouldn't ask me about, or, you know, you don't want to spend time on or whatever the case is. And so establishing what that agenda is can really help with how long you do it. Right. And I always give the power back to the client. You know, it's not going to hurt my feelings if we get to the end of our engagement and you don't want to extend because it means that you've done something big and you've done something that's resonant for you. Right. Or, you know, maybe you've outgrown me and that's good too. Right. There's so there could be another coach that you want to graduate to um, later on. And that's OK. Right. It's really giving the power to the client to say, like, what is it that you need? What's value, valuable and resonant to you? Because when they're the ones answering that question about time frame or resonance or whatever the case is, that's the only way for it to be sustainable. And it's the only way for it to carry with them when they're not working directly with a coach. Right. And so I think it can really be whatever they want it to be. It can be short-term, it can be long-term. You know, I, the longest I've worked with a client is three years running. We're still working together. I've worked with people for three months, right? It really is a matter of what they want and what they get and how they're feeling in that stage of their life. So it's, it's up to them. They're the decision maker. I follow them. You know, one of the things I always say is I'm not selling anything here. I'm not selling coaching or energy work. They have to be called to it. And if they feel value, value and resonance with me and I feel the same, then we'll work together. But I, you know, I can hard sell anybody. I've worked in the Wall Street space for 20 years. I can get exactly what I want. But that's not why I'm doing the coaching. The coaching really is for the greater good. And so I really give the power back to the client. You tell me, what do you want? How do you want it to look? And am I the right person? And they get to be the decision maker. We are coming to the end of our time. I forgot to ask you if you see yourself as a badass. Do you see yourself as a badass? Well, my saboteur says no. <laughs> I think the answer is yes. I think my kids would say yes. Um, and, you know, and talking to you and kind of regurgitating my life, like I've come a long way and I've done a lot of things that I'm proud of. And so if, if that's called being a badass, then yeah, I'm a badass. <laughs> You are, you are certainly a badass. So how, how do people get in, touch, get in touch with your badass self if they want to reach out and connect with you? What's the best way to reach you? Um, I do have a website. It's aliciawellen.com. 
Um, I, and you know, my email address is Alicia at AliciaWellen.com. I am on Instagram. I kind of, I have a love hate relationship with social media there because people want to see it. Right. I don't engage as much as I should. Um, but I do have Alicia Wellen coaching on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn too. So any of those bring it on. I'm happy to talk to anybody. I'd love for them to reach out to me, call, text, email, whatever you want.